Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your po- in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and uh, I am here with my friend Matthew, the preacher at the Centerpoint Road Church of Christ in Marion, Iowa. Before we begin, though, I would like to uh, ask you to do me a solid and like, share, subscribe. Tell your friends about this. Shoot us an email. Let us know what you're parking in your Bibles and the things that you think. If you have any questions, shoot them to us. Uh, but as I mentioned before, I'm here with my buddy Matthew, and we are looking over Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. But before we begin, Matthew, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. Uh, as was stated, I'm the preacher over in Marion, Iowa, the Centerpoint Road Church of Christ. Um, I was in the same class as Josh, so I've been doing this uh, about a year. It's been a, It's been a lot of fun. I am married, and we have one kiddo. I have a son, two and a half years old. A lot of, a lot of fun. It's been, uh, it's been entertaining watching him grow up and seeing all the things that he's doing and saying. And so, yeah, preaching and raising a family. That's pretty much full time job. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, Matthew has some appreciation. I was, we were in school. I uh, your son was born. How many months into school? Almost uh, the midway point. So yeah, no. so yeah, it's at that Christmas, so that January, so halfway through the first year. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I had three children. I was busy uh, with their activities and all that, but they're all older. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know what it'd be like to be a, a new dad and then going through that uh, in the midst of school. That the intensity of that that workload and that schedule and all that. Uh, yeah. We, uh, Georgie and I talked about it a lot. We called it doing a MSOP hard mode. (laughs) We had had just gotten married and then she got pregnant. So it's like, we're learning how to be married and then learning Mm -hmm. how to raise a son and then also full-time MSOP. So that was was hard mode, but our marriage came out stronger and, uh, we know each other a lot better now. No, that's, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's, I, 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 I think compared to a single person, um, I would always say that being married with children while going through is, is far more difficult, uh, than a single guy. Yeah. Uh, but I do think newly wed, newly fathered, uh, is probably a shade more difficult than that. So, uh, not an easy feat to graduate, uh, in that situation, but, uh, a lot of confidence in Matthew, uh, in this podcast, just, you know, for that reason anyway. So, as I mentioned earlier, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, just to give a brief context of our passage, we're talking about Paul's uh, letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, the events of Acts chapter 19 and verse nine, chapter 19 and chapter 20 uh, give us uh, some insight into this congregation as well. Paul is writing uh, from prison. Um, probably around 60 AD, there are a lot of ways that we could break down, uh, the book of Ephesians from, uh, a theme perspective. Uh, the church is going to be the main focus, uh, of this epistle, the church of the Christ, uh, whereas in its, uh, sister epistle, Colossians will focus on the same subject, but look at it from a different perspective focusing more on the Christ of the church. Uh, and that's, that's how I like it. So I, I put that, uh, on my heading here. Um, 
but taking that idea of the view of the church, uh, I think my dad gave me this outline. He looks at it uh, from two vantage points. Uh, Paul does uh, chapters one through three, look at it from the vantage point of God. So if imagine your, your mind's eye that you're sitting on the throne in heaven and you're looking down upon the church, that's really the emphasis of the first three chapters. Uh, chapters four through six or the latter end of this epistle uh, is looking at the church from the vantage point of the world, uh, what the world should see when it looks upon the church. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when you start chapter four, the very first thing Paul talks about is unity and then the seven pillars in which the church has unity uh, with one another. And, and I think uh, that's a great way to, to break it down. But starting off in chapter one, uh, verse three through 14 in the Greek New Testament, this is the longest sentence uh, in the entire New Testament uh, of the, the Greek Bible. Uh, this is one giant sentence uh, that Paul writes almost as if he gets on a roll and then just uh, points out it's a it's a great passage. It's a deep passage. Uh, but we're going to again, the focus is the church. And I'm going to borrow from Tom Waycaster's book, the outline of this particular section of it. And this is kind of how we're going to break it down. Verses three through six looks at the church from the standpoint of the father planned it verses seven through 12 looks at it from the standpoint of the son purchased it. And then the 13 and 14 look at it from the standpoint of the spirit perfected it or completed it. And so you see all three uh, members of the Godhead represented in this passion or, or this section of scripture in regards to uh, the church uh, and how it came about uh, here on this earth. So that being said, let's start reading verses three through six. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he had blessed us in the beloved. Matthew, what do you have there in that section? Um, so before I, before I can get into that section, something that I want to say is just kind of a broad overall look at it. Uh, I love how you divided it up, you know, with God, the Son, the Holy Spirit in each of those sections. Um, something I noticed at the end of each of those sections is uh, a similar phrase. And so the phrase is, to the praise of the glory. And so at the end, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the end of the section of, of the, uh, the sun, to the praise of his glory, and then 14, to the praise of his glory. So all that we're going to be reading and studying is all to the praise of God. And so when I was looking at this section, I was thinking of it as the church's platform for praise. So it's like, if you, if you need a section to study to really get your mind centered on God and why we praise him and, and really get your heart ready for worship. Like this is a perfect section because it covers the whole Godhead covers all the reasons why we praise him to his glory. And so this one, you know, I kind of looked at this section as to the glory of God and especially looking at his grace because of his, his plan. Um, and so just beginning in verse number three, uh, something I'd kind of drawn out of the text, which is very obvious is that we're going to see it again and again, 
talks about the blessings that are in Christ and that all spiritual blessings are in Christ. And you read that and you'd kind of think, well, yeah, but really it eliminates any other possibility of, of location. Like if you want any spiritual blessings, there's one location. It's a one-stop shop. You don't have to go anywhere else. You know, there's nowhere else to, to look. That is where the blessings are located. Um, and then, of course, like you said, for this section, it's God's plan. And so he's the one who set it all uh, in motion. And so just beginning in verse three, I mean, you kind of right off the bat see the need for Christ. If all of these blessings are located in Christ, then that is the place you have to be. And um, I don't know if you kind of had this in your notes, but just kind of almost obligatory, my mind immediately went to like, okay, well, how do, how do you get into Christ? Because it's implied in the text, right? Because I mean, verse one, he's writing to the faithful, he's writing to the saints. So these are people who have obeyed the gospel. But uh, well, just... let's stick a let's stick a tack in that real quick, because I want to. Uh, I know where you're going, and I'm with you 100. Gotcha. Uh, but I, well, before we move on, uh, because I'm, I'm I want to touch on what you talked about to the praise of His glorious grace three times, 100 percent. Uh, with you on that, Paul, in this section, and and we'll just we'll just go through kind of an overall gist, is going to answer two questions uh, in this section of scripture. He's going to ask, he's going to answer the why, and he's going to ask answer the uh, for what. So, why did the Father plan the church? Why did the Son purchase the church? What? Why did the Spirit perfect the church? And then he's going to answer, for what did the Father plan? For what did the Son purchase? For what did the Son or the Spirit perfect? And I'm glad you brought up that that similar phrase, because another similar phrase that's going to answer the why question is found at the end of verse 5, where it says, according to the purpose of his will. And I like the King James Version when it says, uh, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then you go down to verse 9. Uh, why did the son purchase the church according to the good pleasure of his will? And then you go down, uh, to, uh, essentially, and this is where it kind of blends verse 11, which is kind of the transition from the son purchasing church, the church to the spirit perfecting it. And it says to the council of his will. And the point there being is that there was nothing of obligation that forced God to establish the church, no, nothing of obligation. It was all uh, benevolent desire, for lack of uh, if if you want to sum it up, uh, he wanted to do it, and, and it's specifically here in regards to the church. But I think from a principle standpoint, we can take it out to creation. Why did God create me and you? To the pleasure of His good will, uh, He wanted to do it. He, he He did it through benevolence. He did it through. Uh, voluntary work, and then, like you mentioned, uh, which we're going to see, the the purchase of Christ, the blood given, nothing obligated him to do it. It was all done voluntarily, and that's going to be a thread that runs throughout. And then, like you mentioned, he the for what? You know, why did he do it? Because he wanted to do it. What were we created for, particularly the church, to the praise of his glory, like you mentioned? And I was thinking about it from this standpoint. And, and and answer me this, Matthew, if you were watching a video of benevolence and just say you uh, a homeless person 
an individual unbeknownst to them that they're being recorded. So let's just assume that uh, the actions are 100% sincere and they're not doing it for show or doing it for the camera and they don't know it. But you and I see a, a person help a, a, a homeless individual out. What's the natural reaction that you and I would expect from that beneficiary of that benefactor, the person being helped, what would we expect to take place? I mean, it'd just be sincere uh, gratitude. I mean, just, absolutely. Like, and also kind of like, you know, I think uh, on the candid shots, they always ask like, why me? Like, right. Why? You're absolutely right. There's humility involved. Uh, there's yeah. gratitude involved, a hug, handshake, whatever it is. If you and I saw on that video after someone in need was being helped and that person in need gets up and slaps the person across the face, uh, chastises them, curses them out, what's our natural reaction? One of two. Either we're going to look at the one who was in need as ungrateful, we'll look at them with disdain, uh, disappointment, or uh, if not that, we're going to question the rest of the story. What else is there that would cause him to do that? Because it's an unnatural reaction. And the point, and the reason I say all that is to make this point. This makes sense from this standpoint of we were created voluntarily by a benevolent God. So the natural response should be for us to praise his glorious grace for us to glorify him, for us to sing his praise, for us to approach him with humility uh, and gratitude for everything he's done. And, and so, and I think Paul is laying that out. God planned the church because he wanted to. Son purchased the church because he wanted to. The spirit perfected the church because he wanted to. And as a result, the church should glorify and praise God from a natural perspective and, and creation uh, from a general per perspective, creation should do it because we're all in that same boat. Uh, and so when we look at someone who high handedly rebels against God or denies his existence or mischaracterizes him or whatever, it'd be the equivalent of that individual who's received something they didn't deserve getting up and, you know, rebelling uh, against the benefactor. Uh, them and so I think, like you mentioned, I'm glad you pointed it out that that this is a great section of scripture, and the church is a great place in order for us to show that praise and that gratitude towards God. All right, go ahead with what you're saying. I'm, I apologize for interrupting, but uh, I want to pick up. and kind of piggybacking off what you just said. Uh, if we look a couple chapters later in Ephesians, as kind of a capstone over the end of chapter three. It says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. It's kind of like this is the conclusion of the last three chapters. Mm -hmm. Glory to him. Absolutely. And, and the crazy thing is when you put it the way that you just did, it sounds so simple. What God did, our response, it just sounds natural. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the church and you look at the world and it's not happening, then you kind of start wondering, like, well, why is it not? Like, what's what's impeding us, and what is my right. part in uh, in keeping my focus? And so, yeah, no, that's a great point. And and the, and I do think we have to prescribe some sort of 
unnatural characteristic to it. Uh, now, it's unnatural because, you know, temptation in the world and sin and all that. Um, and I, when I say unnatural, I mean sin contradicts that for which we were created. We weren't created to sin. We were created to, to, to be a testament to God and to praise him. Uh, and so that's what I mean by unnatural. I don't mean it's not natural to sin. I'm just saying that, that that's the opposite of which we were for which we were created. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So go ahead. Um, so do you want to go back to uh, diversity? Yeah, go back. Yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. <laughs> so we'll go back to verse number three. So blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to begin with a, a blessing to God. And then he mentions blessing God because of all of the spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So mentioned that every single spiritual blessing we have access to is found in Christ. I don't know if you remember, there was a class we were in and there's one a previous student who had compiled, I think like 54 different things and it wasn't comprehensive of everything that the Bible mentions that are found in Christ. So everything from eternal salvation, prudence, wisdom. And so there's so many things the Bible has to say regarding what's found uh, in Christ. But we know that all spiritual blessings are found in him. Um, and so I'll go back to that idea I had about, you know, just stating how someone gets into Christ. Um, the original recipients of this letter would have known because they were saints. They were faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, so, of course, getting into Christ, you know, someone has to recognize they have a need for Christ. Uh, Romans 1, 16, 17 talks about the gospel of Christ and how it is the power, the only power of, that God has to save people, save mankind. So they have to recognize a need. And then you and I, as uh, you know, present day preachers, we go out and make disciples. So we lead people to Christ and help them to see the need that they have for Christ. And then, I mean, of course, the, the simple tagline for how you get into Christ would be Galatians 3.26. Or 27. So for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, which, uh, you know, we look at as, as just a simple act. But of course, the act of baptism has so much more meaning, so much more symbolism. Um, from Romans 6, we know it's being united with Christ in his death, coming in contact with the blood. And then at that point, uh, the Lord adds us to the church. And so that's where we find the Ephesians receiving this letter. They are in the church. And so in this way, Paul is revealing all of the blessings that uh, they have in Christ. And so, I mean, that's an abbreviated version of how you get into Christ and, and the need for it. But I mean, it, again and again, I mean, if you talk about highlights in the text, I mean, if you just put a box around every single time it says in him or in Christ, and that just is repeated throughout the text. So. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I underlined in Christ in verse three and just put a note 36 times in the book of Ephesians. Uh, he's going to say it. And I think that's just in Christ. I don't think that has to, I don't think that's uh, for like verse six in the beloved. That's, that's a synonymous term in him, uh, which we're going to look at here in just a moment, but synonymous terms and all synonymous with the church. Anytime you see, uh, the phrase in Christ uh, throughout this epistle, you can simply uh, replace it with the church uh, because that's that's a synonymous. Being in Christ is being in the church. Uh, being in the body is being in the church. And so 
Uh, glad you pointed that out. I circled every uh, just to emphasize uh, that word, like you mentioned. Uh, the in, the uh, the indication there by Paul is that there is nothing from a spiritual blessing standpoint that exists outside of Christ. You you can't have it. Uh, physical blessings do, uh, just like he said on the Sermon on the Mount: rain falls on the just and the unjust, and he causes his sun to rise on the on the wicked and in the good. But from a spiritual standpoint, you cannot have a spiritual blessing outside of Christ. Uh, and that's implied here. I, so I box spiritual blessing and put Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which uh, you mentioned there more than that. But that's the fruits of the spirit. Um, I also underlined and want to camp out a little bit here on that phrase in heavenly places. Uh, five times uh, in uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, if you don't have a reference uh Bible, uh, then you're going to find it in uh, here in chapter 1 and verse 3, chapter 1 and verse 20, uh, chapter 2 and verse 6, chapter 3 and verse 10, and chapter 6 and verse 12. And next to that, I put Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, uh, and that's my own note. Uh, and that's just where it talks about our citizenship is not of this earth, it's in heaven. Uh, and F.F. Uh, F. Bruce in his commentary, and I liked what he said, so I just I put an arrow up to the top where I have some space, and I just put this quote. Spiritual blessings are those which are appropriate to the to people who have their home, their true home, in heaven, in the heavenly realm. In other words, spiritual blessings mean nothing to anybody that's not focused on heaven. Uh, and that's kind of what he points out here. But what's interesting about this is uh, one commentator made the point that in heavenly places, the way it's used in the book of Ephesians means that it's not just a future benefit, but it's also a present reality. In other words, heaven is something for which uh, to which we look forward for the future, but it's also something that in Christ we can have part of in the presence. And there's a lot of a lot of examples of that, but I think the best attestation to that fact, and and I think maybe the best way in which you and I experience it in a way that we can identify is found in Hebrews four and verse sixteen. Uh, let us approach confidently or boldly the throne of grace. I think prayer is probably the greatest way for us to experience. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is and nowhere experience it is in the, in the matter of prayer in the fact that God doesn't come to us. But when we pray from a spiritual standpoint, we go into the heavenly realm, uh, spiritually speaking before the throne of grace and we petition the almighty God. Uh, and so that I put, uh, just that, that note and then Hebrews four and verse 16 next to that phrase, heavenly places, because the reality is the only place that you and I, the only way you and I are going to get into heaven is through the church. And the closest you and I today, that the closest you and I can get to heaven today is in the church. And that's through that, that spiritual blessing uh, standpoint. You have anything else on verse three? One thing I was going to get into, but something that you mentioned uh, made me think of, I mean, I know you've been teaching Hebrews, so you probably went through the type, anti-type of the mm -hmm. tabernacle 
And so I think that's a great way for the church to have that visual representation. And I think that makes it so visceral to us because I think sometimes we, you know, we think about prayer, but we don't realize what it actually looks like. And so studying the, the tabernacle can help us realize uh, the kind of immense weight of what we're doing and not do it casually. Uh, so I was thinking of that, that term heavenly places and uh, drawing back to an idea we had previously of how difficult it is um, to have our minds centered on what we need to have centered on. You look at the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament had, were, was predominantly physical blessings. The New Testament, I mean, it's predominantly spiritual blessings. Of course, we have assurance God takes care of us physically. You know, if we put the kingdom first, all these things will be added unto you. So to a certain degree, God will take care of our physical needs. But all of our blessings are primarily phys uh, spiritual. And the problem is we live in a world that doesn't naturally value spiritual blessings. And so if we let ourselves go with the flow of the world, we're going to devalue what we have in Christ. And so as I was thinking about the, um, the verse when it talks about in heavenly places, and you mentioned it, our citizenship is in heaven. I think really our mind and our, our head and most of our life needs to be lived in heaven, not in a way that we're disconnecting from the earth. But as I was connecting this thought, I thought of Colossians. So Colossians 3, 1 through 3, I think kind of speaks to this verse and, and us having our, our mind on what we need to. So if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And so that's where Christ is. As we are part of Christ, we now are where he is, not physically at the moment, but that's where our mind needs to be. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I think we need to have the, the mental and physical discipline to be able to think about the spiritual, the spiritual reality of things and appreciate what we have in Christ. And so the more, more times we can have to meditate on the blessings we have in Christ, I think the better. The only way I could really liken this is like, it's so easy for me to take, uh, take my marriage for granted. But when I really think about what was my life before marriage and uh, all of the, not only blessings, but just how nice it is having a best friend with you all the time. Mm -hmm. and so when you meditate upon it, you appreciate it more. And I think we need to have that time to, to meditate on what we have in Christ, where our citizenship is. And to, you know, kind of get our mind right. And that's much easier said than done, but it's definitely a spiritual discipline that has to be present. That's a great, great point. Now you bring that up. I remember uh, an illustration my dad used. Are you going to PTP? No, next year. Oh, next year. All right. Shout out PTP. Uh, but we're going to, uh, we're going, uh, we're leaving Lord willing tomorrow night to make our way towards there. Here's the point that he made, though. He said when when he went to PTP, when he was going at this time, uh, he made the point that what, he was there. But what he didn't do is he didn't do something like he didn't establish a mailbox, uh, sign a lease for a house, anything along those lines, because he knew he was a guest. Uh, right. And he knew that it was only temporary. His time there was only temporary. Uh, but you know, fast forward that to a year ago when we were no, we were leaving school and we had the, the, the jobs given to us, what we do in prep, even though we weren't technically in the, uh, me and Monticello, uh, you and Mary in Iowa, what did we do in order to prepare for that? Well, we, 
we registered the kids for school. We got the address and started to get utilities and internet and that stuff set up. We had our, our mail forwarded and all that. And the point being is, is, is that future location where we knew we were going influenced our actions while we were somewhere else, not the way uh, East Tennessee did when we knew we were just visiting and we were going to return. But when we knew that we were going to actually be here and claim residency in that area, then it influenced our decisions while we were in Memphis. And I think that's a, a great way to look at it from this standpoint. If uh, I understand that my residency is in heaven, is spiritual and, and eternal, then those eternal things are going to influence my my actions here. And I, I think that I appreciate you bringing that up because that, and you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and I think from a marriage standpoint, when you kind of look at it from that standpoint that, you know, the way I treat my marriage here has repercussions in heaven for eternity, then maybe I'm going to have a better appreciation for it. Uh, my friendships within the church, it's, it's, uh, you know, we leave, you know, when we left, we graduated, not the nine that, the of us that graduated all went to our separate locations. And I remember thinking like, this is the end of a period. We'll never all probably, we're, we'll probably never all live in the same place ever again, like we did for, for two years. But, you know, the likelihood of us all being in the same location at the same time, uh, nine is probably a little better, great, greater odds than others larger classes, but still that's going to be difficult, you know? Uh, and so, you know, you had this end of a, of an era for lack of a better term, but then you can take comfort in the fact that regardless of what happens, if, if those nine individuals continue on, then there'll be a day when all of us will be in the same location forever. And you get to, you get to cherish and, and enjoy those friendships and relationships forever. And, and it just, it, 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 it puts a different spin on things while we're here, uh, if that makes sense. And so, uh, excellent point. Uh, do you have anything on four? Um, let me check on, check on the notes. I was, I was in what you were saying and I just, I completely thought about, uh, forgot about the next verse, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but what you said, it's going to look weird to the outside world, right? I mean, right. if you have your treasures in heaven, you're not going to have the usual treasures that people cherish here. Right. It's gonna look weird. Um, chose us before the foundation of the world. I wanted to kind of focus on that phrase and the, the application I had for that is that, I mean, you think of that. So this is God's plan before he ever even created the world. Mm -hmm. And think of all of the pain and all of the problems that humans created for God and all of the rejection of him and all of the things that God was going to have to do to reunite, you know, his creation with himself. And yet he still, created the world and yet he still followed through with his plan and i thought about you know i don't know how many people that we meet on a weekly basis but do you think you'd treat an individual different if like the time you the first time you shook their hand you could then see all of the, either the pain or the good that that person was going to perpetrate on you and your family do you think you'd like treat them differently i mean you know if you saw like oh man this is the beginning of a great relationship great friendship like this is amazing then you're kind of going to treat him differently. Or if you think like, oh, wow, this is going to cause problems for my, me, my family, sleepless nights, you treat him differently. 
And then, and then just to add to that, you had the power of their existence in your hand at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it'd be like math. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You know what? I'm gonna need this person. That you know. Yeah. But for God, it, it's. I mean, that kind of love. I mean, you could think about that for weeks, and I don't think you'd still fully grasp it. And I think you're not supposed to fully grasp it. That's why we worship Him because it's right. amazing. But and I, I, when I look at Christ and His ministry, I think that's exemplified in Judas. Because Christ knew that Judas was going to betray him, yet he heard all the sermons, he had all of the blessings, and, um, and it just shows the impartiality of God. And that mm. God already knows, like of the nine who are in our class, God knows if the nine are going to be faithful or not. And um, and yet we still had all the opportunity, all of the blessings. God hasn't. I don't think God's necessarily closed doors to us, even though He knows how it's going to end. And I think that shows His immense love. So. No, that's that's a great point. And I underlined, I underlined that phrase before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> I put, sorry, Acts fifteen verse eighteen, known unto God all His works uh, before the creation of the world or at the creation uh, of the world. I also put Ephesians three eleven when it refers to the church as the eternal purpose, uh, meaning the church is eternal. And, and there are those who will claim that it's a, an afterthought or a plan B because he was rejected and not known. Like you mentioned, though, the omniscience of God knew exactly what was going to happen. So the point being is the church has always existed uh, in some form. It, it existed in the mind of an eternal God. So that makes it eternal in nature already. Uh, then Acts chapter, And then it exists in the Old Testament through prophecy and type and shadow like you mentioned the tabernacle the ark and so forth uh and then it mentioned it was it existed in the teachings of john the baptist and jesus and the 12 uh with the 70 and the limited commission the kingdom is uh at hand uh so even in the gospel accounts you see the 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 church represented as uh it's near uh and then in acts chapter 2 it becomes a fruition uh a fruition here on earth a reality on earth and, and so uh, I'm glad you pointed out because it's the eternal purpose of God. It's not a plan B. It's always been the, the intention of God. Uh, in its circle, or I underline that phrase, he chose us. And then in verse 5, I underline he predestined us. Uh, and then you you have later on, uh, I believe it's um, verse 11, uh, predestined us. Uh, and just to, to clear up the confusion there, we're not talking about the chosen uh, and the predestined are not specific individuals. In other words, Matthew was uh, chosen and Josh wasn't chosen. Uh, that's not the point here. The The point here is, and what Paul's making and the, the proper way to apply it, is that God, before sin ever created or sin ever existed and man was ever created, knew the type of person that would be saved uh, and that he would uh, grant entrance into heaven. Uh, not an individual in, in uh, specifically, but uh, the type of individual. And the type of individual is the one who is a member of the body of Christ. And you look at it and you made that point. Uh, in verse 3, you have in Christ. In verse 4, you have in him. In verse 5, you have through Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, you have in the beloved. 
So the point being is, is the father planned before the foundation of the earth that he was going to save the one who was in Christ. And then referencing back to what you mentioned earlier, how do you put yourself in Christ? Uh, baptism is a good synecdoche for the entire process of hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized, and then living faithfully unto death. Uh, if you want to, you know, sum up that entire faith is another way, you know, walking in faith or however you want to label it. But I also have that phrase. I have first Corinthians 12 and verse 13 uh, pointing to the predestined us. He chose us. And that's where it says by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And, and essentially, that's it. Who did God choose to save those who put themselves into the one body? if you want to sum it up in, in one phrase. Uh, and, and that was always the plan. It was always the plan that the person who put himself into, into that one body was going to be the one that was saved. And that plan was determined. And that intention was determined before the foundations of the earth, before the earth was ever created. That was in the mind of God. And that's how he chose to do it. And so uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I put also the class are those who put themselves and stay in Christ. And so that's just to explain uh, what it means by chosen or predestined in that. Because there's a lot of confusion around, unfortunately, those uh, those phrases. But I think Paul doesn't want it to be misunderstood, which is why in four verses he makes four references to being in Christ. Uh, so that's that's obviously something we should take away as an important factor uh, of these verses. But do you have anything else? Uh, that that's pretty much what I have on on the Father planned. Yeah, that's predominantly what I had too. And I mean, that's a great way to <clears throat> harmonize all of the verses in the Bible about God and Him having this predestined plan. Because First Timothy two four it says God desires all men to be saved. And so if he was just choosing individuals, it doesn't make sense. But of course, right. if he has this location, like the type, you know, the ark, where anyone who enters in, you know, will be saved. So well, and great commission to teach all nations. <laughs> that's a great point. I'm glad you brought up the ark because I think the ark is a testament. You, you talked about God knowing uh, how man would reject him, yet he still created us. God knowing how man would act, yet he still loved and, and blessed and so forth. Uh, I think the ark is... Uh, the perfect picture of that, because uh, you look at you look at the dimensions of the ark and how big it was, and and I know there are animals and all that, but I believe there was more there was more than enough room. I don't think eight humans is all you could fit on the ark when the floods came. So, and and like along the lines of what you said, God knew omnisciently when he gave Noah the dimensions of the ark that only eight humans were going to get onto that, that boat yet. He still had Noah make it big enough for more than eight people. Uh, and, and, and part of it's from the standpoint of his love and it illustrates his love. The other standpoint is that no one who died in the flood had an excuse. There was no one who's going to be able to say there wasn't enough. I tried to get on, but there wasn't enough room. Uh, and I think heaven is in the similar there's there's not everyone who can inhabit heaven will inhabit heaven as from a size standpoint just to to put it in a finite realm like like we are uh it's not going to be that case so uh yeah, i appreciate the arc, i mean it was a 
uh, was he a preacher of righteousness? Did it say for a hundred years or am I thinking of something else? Wasn't uh, well, it was 120, it was 120 years before, um, I was just thinking God, God. like he built the ark over a number of years. People were probably talking about crazy Noah. They could see the mm -hmm. ark. And so it's like, it was talked about, it was seen. There's so many opportunities and yet it's still rejected. Probably the same thing with the church. I mean, there's, it's everywhere. You can't really get rid of God from culture. So no one will have this excuse. Um, so for this section, are we about to exit the section? Over God? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just want to pay back what you said before, where you talked about God's good pleasure. And that's amazing. The fact that he wanted to do this, it wasn't out of obligation. No one was twisting his arm. Like this is something he wanted to do with his own free will. And so that's all the more reason to praise God because he wants a relationship with us. And so. That's great. Well, this, this is a first man. Um, we're at 40 minutes oh, wow. and we've only hit one section, <laughs> which I mean, I, I kind of expected that to happen because this is such a deep, um, deep, I mean, just set of scripture. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, I'll tell you what, let's, let's put a pen in it here. Let's call this episode, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and then we'll bring you back on when your, your schedule allows and we'll, We'll pick up six through 14 uh, and go with that. Um, uh, no, that's, that's, that's great discussion. Uh, I probably should have more wisdom on that and just cut it down uh, to these four verses, but uh, I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the talk. Uh, I want to keep it going. So yes, let's sir. put a pin there and we will uh, uh, go from there. But I really, I really do appreciate you bringing out that fact that, um, that this all, despite the knowledge God had of how we would act as as humanity, uh, the church was still uh, carried out, and, and we're still given the opportunity, whether we, you know, even though we don't deserve it. So uh, beautiful. You have anything uh, before we close out? Nah, man. Looking forward to to future episodes. Yeah, same here, man. Uh, like I said, I appreciate that. Uh, for those who listen, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen. As we mentioned before, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about it. Uh, this particular week uh, in particular, there's been kind of an influx of people following and all that. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we uh, we enjoy doing this, and I'm glad to hear that there's some out there who enjoy listening to it. With that said, uh, we're out.